0: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the World of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we'll read chapters 17 and 18. In the previous episode, we read chapters 15 and 16, where Percy went to Mount Tam and actually met Luke, but Kronos is actually inside him. Kronos got his powerful scythe back, and Percy had no choice but to escape Kronos by going back into the labyrinth. So let's see where he is in the labyrinth by reading chapter 17, The Lost God Speaks. We ran until we were exhausted. Rachel steered us away from traps but we had no destination in mind, only away from the dark mountain and the roar of Kronos. We stopped in a tunnel of wet white rocks, like part of a natural cave. I couldn't hear anything behind us, I didn't f- but I didn't feel any safer. I could still remember those unnatural Ural golden eyes staring out of Luke's face, and the feeling that my limbs were slowly turning to stone. I can't go any farther, Rachel gasped, hugging her chest. Annabeth had been crying the entire time we'd been running. Now she collapsed and put her head between her knees. Her sobs echoed in the tunnel. Nico and I sat next to each other. He dropped his sword next to mine and took a shaky breath. That sucked, he said, which I thought summed things up pretty well. You saved our lives, I said. Nico wiped the dust off his face. Blame the girls for dragging me along. This is the only thing they could agree on. We needed to help you or you'd mess things up. Nice that they trust me so much. I shined my left flashlight across the cavern. Water dripped from the stalactites like a slow-motion rain. Nico, you uh, kind of gave yourself away. What do you mean? That wall of black stone? That was pretty impressive. If Kronos didn't know who you were before, <laughs> he does now. A child of the underworld. Nico frowned. Big deal. I let it drop. I figured he was trying to hide how scared he was, and I couldn't blame him. Ambit lifted her head. Her eyes were red from crying. What was wrong with Luke? What did they do to him? I told her what I'd seen in the coffin. The way the last piece of Kronos' spirit hadn't entered Luke's body when Ethan Nakamura pledged his service. No, Ambit said. That can't be true. He couldn't. He gave himself over to Kronos. I said, I'm sorry, Annabeth, but Luke is gone. No, she insisted. You saw when Rachel hit him. I nodded, looking at Rachel with respect. You hit the Lord of the Titans in the eye with a blue plastic hairbrush. Rachel looked embarrassed. It was the only thing I had. But you saw, Annabeth insisted. But when it hit him just for a second, he was dazed. He came back to his senses. So maybe Kronos wasn't completely settled in the body or whatever, I said. It doesn't mean Luke was in control. You want him to be evil, is that it? Ambit yelled, you don't know him before, Percy, I did. What is with you? I snapped. Why do you keep defending him? Whoa, you two, Rachel said. Knock it off. Ambit turned on her. Stay out of it, mortal girl. If it wasn't for you... Whatever she was going to say, her voice broke. She put her head down again and sobbed miserably. I wanted to comfort her, but I I didn't know how. I still felt stunned that Kronos' time slow effect had affected my brain. I just couldn't comprehend what I'd seen. Kronos was alive. He was armed. And the end of the world was probably close at hand. We have to keep moving, Nico said. He'll send monsters after us. Nobody was in any shape to run but Nika was right. I hauled myself up and held Rachel to her feet You did good there. You did good back there. I told her she managed a weak smile Yeah, well, I didn't want you to die. She blushed. I mean just because you know you owe me too many favors How am I gonna collect it if you die? I knelt next to Annabeth. Hey, I'm sorry. We need to move. I know she said I'm I'm all right. She was clearly not all right. But she got to her feet and we started straggling through the labyrinth again. Back to New York, I said. Rachel, can you? I froze. A few feet in front of us. My flashlight beamed fixed on a trampled clump of red fabric lying on the ground. It was a the cap, the one Grover always wore. My hand shook as I picked up the cap. It looked like it had been stepped on by a huge muddy boot. After all that I'd gone through today, I couldn't stand the thought that something might have happened to Grover too. Then I noticed something else. The cave floor was mushy and wet from the water dripping off the stalactites. There were large footprints like Tyson's and smaller ones, goat hooves leading off to the left. We have to follow them, I said. They went that way. It must have been recently. What about Kemp Halfblood? Nico said. There's no time. We have to find them, Ambith insisted. They're our friends. She picked up Grover's smash cap and forged ahead. I followed, bracing myself for the worst. The tunnel was treacherous. It sloped at weird angles and was slimy with moisture. Half the time, we were slipping and sliding rather than walking. Finally, we got to the bottom of a slope and found ourselves in a large cave with huge stalagmite columns. Through the center of the room ran an underground river. And Tyson was sitting by the banks, cradling and cradling Grover in his lap. Grover's eyes were closed. He wasn't moving. Tyson! I yelled. Percy, come quick! We ran over to him. Grover wasn't dead, thank the gods, but his whole body trembled like he was freezing to death. What happened? I asked. So many things, Tyson murmured. Large snake, large dogs, men with swords. But then we... We got close to here. Grover was excited. He ran, then we reached this room and he fell like this. Did he say anything? I I asked. He said, we're close. Then he hit his head on the rocks. I knelt next to him. The only other time I'd seen Grover pass out was in New Mexico when he felt the presence of Pan. I shined my flashlight around the cavern. The rocks glittered. At the far end was the entrance to another cave, flanked by gigantic columns of crystal that looked like diamonds beyond that entrance. Grover, I said, wake up. Uh... Annabeth knelt next to him and splashed icy cold river water in his face. Splurred! His eyelids fluttered. Percy? Annabeth? Where? It's okay, I said. You passed out. The presence was too much for you. I I remember. Pan. Yeah, I said. Something powerful is just beyond that doorway. I made quick interjections since Tyson and Grover had never met Rachel. Tyson told Rachel she was pretty, which made Annabeth's nostrils flare like she was going to blow fire. Anyway, I said, come on, Grover, lean on me. Annabeth and I helped him up and together we waded across the underground river. The current was strong. The water came up to our waists. I willed myself to stay dry, which is a handy little ability that didn't help the others. And I could still feel the cold, like wading through a snowdrift. I think we're in Carlsbad Caverns, Ambit said, her teeth chattering. Maybe an unexplored section? How do you know? Carlsbad is in New Mexico, she said. That would explain last winter. I nodded. Grover's swooning episode had happened when we passed through New Mexico. That's where he felt closest to the power of Pan. We got out of the water and kept walking. As the crystal pillars loomed larger, I started to feel the power emanating from the next room. I'd been in the presence of gods before, but this was different. My skin tingled with living energy. My awareness fell away as if I just got in a good night's sleep. I could feel myself growing stronger like one of those plants in a time-lapse video. In the scent coming from the cave was nothing like the dank, wet underground. It smelled of trees and flowers in a warm, sunny day. Grover whimpered with excitement. I was too stunned to talk. Even Nico seemed speechless. We stepped into the cave and Rachel said, Oh, wow. The walls were glittered with crystals, red, green, and blue. In the strange light, beautiful plants grew giant orchids star-shaped flowers vines bursting with orange and purple berries that crept among the crystals the cave floor was covered with soft green moss overhead the ceiling was higher than a cathedral smarter sparkling like a galaxy of stars in the center of the cave stood a roman style bed gilded wood shaped like a curly u with velvet cushions animals lounged around it but there were animals that shouldn't have been alive there was a dodo bird something that looked like a cross between a wolf and a tiger, a huge rodent like the mother of all guinea pigs, and roaming behind the bed, picking berries with its trunk, was a woolly mammoth. On the bed lay an old satyr. He watched us as we approached, his eyes as blue as the sky. His curly hair was white, and so was his pointed beard. Even the goat fur on his legs was frosted with gray. His horns were enormous, glossy brown and curved. There was no way he could have hidden those under a hat the way Grover did. Around his neck hung a set of reed pipes. Grover fell to his knees in front of the bed. Lord Pan! The god smiled kindly, but there was a sadness in his eyes. Grover, my dear, brave satyr, I have waited a very long time for you. I got lost, Grover apologized. Pan laughed. It was a wonderful sound like the first breeze of springtime filling the whole cavern with hope. The tiger wolf sighed and rested his head on the god's knee. The dodo bird pecked affectionately at the god's hooves, making a strange sound in the back of its bill. I could swear it was hunting humming, it was a, it's a small world. Still, Pan looked tired. His whole form shimmered as if he were made of mist. I noticed my other friends were kneeling, that odd look on the odd look on the uh, looks on their faces, I got to my knees. You have a humming dodo bird, I said stupidly. The god's eyes twinkled. Yes, that's Didi, my little actress. Didi the dodo looked offended. She pecked at Pan's knees and hummed something that sounded like a funeral funeral dirge. This is the most beautiful place, Neba said. It's better than any building ever designed. "'I'm glad you like it, dear,' Ban said. "'It is one of the last wild places. "'My realm above is gone, I'm afraid. "'Only pockets remain. "'Tiny pieces of life, this one, "'shall stay undisturbed for a little longer.' "'My lord,' Grover said. "'Please, you must come back with me. "'The elders will never believe it. "'They'll be overjoyed. "'You can save the wild.' "'Pan placed his hand on Grover's head "'and ruffled his curly hair. "'You are so young, Grover, so good and true.' I think I chose well. Chose? Grover said. I I don't understand. Pan's image flickered, momentarily turning to smoke. The giant guinea pig scuttled under the bed with a terrified squeal. The woolly mammoth grunted nervously. Dee Dee stuck her head under her wing and then Pan reformed. I have slept many eons, the god said forlornly. My dreams have been dark. I wake fitfully, and each time my waking is shorter. Now we are near the end. What? Grover cried. But no, you're right here. My dear satyr, Pan said. I tried to tell the world 2,000 ago, two thousand years ago. I announced it to Lysis, a satyr very much like you. He lived in Ephesus, and he tried to spread the word. Ambit's eyes widened. The old story. A sailor passing by the coast of Ephesus heard a voice crying from the shore. Tell them the great god, god Pan is dead. But that wasn't true, Grover said. Your kind never believed it, Pan said. Your sweet, stubborn satyrs to refused to accept my passing, and I love you for that. But you only delayed the inevitable. You only prolonged my long, painful passing, my dark twilight sleep. It must end. ''No!'' Grover's voice trembled. ''Dear Grover,'' Pan said. ''You must accept the truth. Your companion, Nico,'' he understands. Nico nodded slowly. ''He's dying. He should have died long ago. This, this is more like a memory.'' ''But gods can't die,'' Grover said. ''They can fade,'' Pan said. ''When everything they stood for is gone. When they cease to have power and their sacred places disappear. The wild, my dear Grover,'' is so small now, so shattered that no god can save it. My realm is gone. That is why I need you to carry a message. You must go back to the council. You must tell the satyrs and the dryads and the other spirits of nature that the great god Pan is dead. Tell them of my passing because they must stop waiting for me to save them. I cannot. The only salvation you must make yourself, each of you must. He stopped and frowned at the dodo bird, who started humming again. Didi, what are you doing? Pan demanded. Are you singing Kumbaya again? Didi looked up innocently and blinked her yellow eyes. Pan sighed. Everybody's a cynic. But as I was saying, my dear Grover, each of you must take up my calling. But no, Grover whimpered. Be strong, Pan said. You found me and now you must release me. You must carry on my spirit. It can no longer be carried by a god. It must be taken up by all of you. Pan looked straight at me with his clear blue eyes, and I realized he wasn't just talking about the satyrs. He meant half-bloods too, and humans, everyone. Percy Jackson, the god, said, I know what you have seen today. I know your doubts, but I give you this news. When the time comes, you will not be ruled by fear. He turned to Annabeth, daughter of Athena. Your time is coming. You will play a great role, though it may not be the role you imagined. Then he looked at Tyson. Master Cyclops, do not despair. Heroes rarely live up to our expectations, but you, Tyson, your name shall live among the Cyclops for generations. And Miss Rachel Dare. Rachel flinched when he said her name. She backed up like she was guilty of something, but Pan only smiled. He raised his hand in a blessing. I know you believe you cannot make amends, he said, but you are just as important as your father i Rachel faltered a tear traced her cheek i know you don't believe this now pan said but look for opportunities they will come finally he turned back toward grover my dear satyr pan said kindly will you carry my message i i can't you can pan said you are the strongest and bravest your heart is true you have believed in me more than anyone ever has which is why you must bring the message why you must be the first to release me. I, I don't want to. I know, the god said, but my name Pan, originally meant Rustic. Did you know that? But over the years, it has come to mean all. The spirit of the wild must pass to all of you now. You must tell each one you meet. If you would find Pan, take up Pan's spirit. Remake the wild a little at a time, each in your own corner of the world. You cannot wait for anyone else, even a god, to do that for you. Grover wiped his eyes, and slowly he stood. I've spent my whole life looking for you. Now, I release you. Pan smiled. Thank you, dear satyr, my final blessing. He closed his eyes, and the god dissolved. White mist divided into wisps of energy, but this kind of energy wasn't scary like the blue power I've seen from Kronos. It filled the room. A curl of smoke went straight into my mouth and Grover's and the others. But I think a little more of it went into Grover. The crystals dimmed. The animals gave us a sad look. Didi the dodo sighed. Then they all turned gray and crumbled to dust. The vines withered and we were alone in a dark cave with an empty bed. I switched on my flashlight. Grover took a deep breath. Are, are you okay? I asked him. He looked sadder and sad, older and sadder. He took his cap from Annabeth, brushed off the mud, and stuck it firmly on his curly head. We should go now, he said, and tell them, the great god Pan is dead. And that is the end of chapter 17. That was probably one of the more sadder chapters as Grover finally found Pan, but Pan actually has to die due to not much of the wild being there anymore, so... I guess we really do, even in the real world, we have to take this and actually, you know, preserve the world and its nature and its beauty. So that maybe possibly we can, you know, relive, possibly Pan can come back. But we will see where they end up and whether they reach back to Camp Half-Blood in Chapter 18 right after this break. And we are back from the ads, and now you'll read Chapter 18, Grover Causes a Stampede. Distance was shorter in the labyrinth. Still, by the time Rachel got us back to Times Square, I felt like we'd pretty much run all the way from New Mexico. We climbed out of the Marriott basement and stood on the sidewalk in the bright summer daylight, squinting at the traffic and crowds. I couldn't decide which seemed less real, New York or the Crystal Cave where I watch a god die. I led the way into an alley where I could get a nice echo. Then I whistled as loud as I could five times. A minute later, Rachel gasped. They're beautiful. A flock of pegasi descended from the sky, swooping between the skyscrapers. Blackjack was in the lead, followed by four of his his white friends. Yo, boss, he spoke in my mind. You lived. Yeah, I told him. I'm lucky that way. Listen, we need a ride to camp quick. That's my specialty. Oh man, you got that cyclops with you? Yo, Guido, how's your back holding up? The Pegasus Guido groaned and complained, but eventually agreed to carry Tyson. Everybody started saddling up, except Rachel. Well, she told me. I guess this is it. I nodded uncomfortably. We both knew she couldn't go to camp. I glanced at Annabeth, who was pretending to be very busy with her Pegasus thanks rachel i said we couldn't have done it without you i wouldn't have missed it i mean except for almost dying in pan her voice faltered he said something about your father i remembered what did he mean rachel twisted the strap on her backpack my dad my dad's job he's kind of a famous businessman you mean you're rich well yeah so that's how you got the shafir to help us you just said your dad's name and- Yes. Rachel cut me off. Percy, my dad's a land developer. He flies all over the world looking for tracts of undeveloped land. She took a shaky breath. The wild. He- He buys it up. I hate it, but he plows it-, plows it down and builds ugly subdivisions and shopping centers. And now that I've seen Pan- Pan's death- Hey, you can't blame yourself for that. You don't know the worst of it. I- I don't like to talk about my family. I didn't want you to know. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said anything. No, I said, it's cool. Look, Rachel, you did awesome. You led us through the maze. You were so brave. That's the only thing I'm going to judge you on. I don't care what your dad does. Rachel looked at me gratefully. Well, if you ever feel like hanging on with a mortal again, you can call me or something. Uh, Yeah, sure. She knit her eyebrows. I guess I sounded unenthusiastic or something, but that's not how I meant it. I just wasn't sure what to say with all my friends standing around. And I guess my feelings had gotten pretty mixed up the last couple of days. I mean, I'd like that, I said. My number's not in the book. She said, I've got it. Still on your hand? No way. No, I kind of memorized it. Her smile came back slowly, but a lot happier. See you later, Percy Jackson. Go save the world for me, okay? She walked down 7th Ann Avenue and disappeared into the crowds. When I got back to the horses, Nico was having trouble. His Pegasus kept shying away from him, reluctant to let him mount. He smells like dead people, the Pegasus complained. Hey now, Blackjack said. Come on, pork pie. Lots of demigods smell weird. It ain't their fault. Oh, uh, I didn't mean you, boss. Go without me, Nico said. I don't want to go back to that camp anyway. Nico, I said, we need your help. He folded his arms and scowled. Then Annabeth put her hand on his shoulder. Nico, she said, please. Slowly, his expression softened. All right, he said reluctantly. For you, but I'm not staying. I raised an eyebrow, and Annabeth, like, how come all of a sudden Nico listens to you? She stuck her tongue at me. At last, we got everybody on a Pegasus, we shot into the air, and soon we were over the East River with Long Island spread out before us. We landed in the middle of the cabin area and were immediately met by Chiron, Chiron the pot-bellied S- Sator Silenus, and a couple of Apollo cabin archers. Chiron raised an eyebrow when he saw Nico, but if I expected him to be surprised by our latest news about Quintus being Daedalus or Kronos rising, I was mistaken. I feared as much, Chiron said. We must hurry. Hopefully, you have slowed down the Titan Lord, but his vanguard will still be coming through they will be anxious for blood most of our defenders are already in place come wait a moment Silenus demanded what of the searcher for Pan you're almost three weeks overdue Grover Underwood your your searcher's license is revoked Grover took a deep breath he stood up straight and looked Silenus in the eye searcher's license doesn't matter anymore the great goddess Pan Pan is dead he has passed on and left us his spirit "'What?' Silen- Silenus's face turned bright red. "'Sacrilegion, lies! Grover Underwood, I will have you exiled for speaking thus!' "'It's true,' I said. "'We were there when he died, all of us. Impossible! You are all liars, nature's destroyers!' Chiron studied Grover's face. "'We will speak of this later.' "'We will speak of it now,' Silenus said. "'We must deal with this, Silenus!' Chiron cut in. My camp is under attack. The matter of Pan has waited 2,000 years. I fear it will have to wait a bit longer, assuming we are still here this evening. And on that happy note, he readied his bow and galloped toward the woods, leaving us to follow as best as we could. It was the biggest military operation I'd ever seen at camp. Everyone was at the clearing, dressed in full black battle armor, but this time, it wasn't for capture the flag. The Festus cabin had set up traps around the entrance to the labyrinth. Razor-wire pits filled with pots of Greek fire, rows of sharpened sticks to deflect a charge. Beckendorf was manning two catapults the size of pickup trucks, already primed and aimed at Zeus's fists. The Ares cabin was on the front line, drilling in phalanx formation with Clarice calling orders. Apollo's and Hermes cabin were scattered in the woods with bows ready. Many had taken up positions in the trees. Even the dryads were armed with bows, and the satyrs trotted around with wooden cudgels and shields made of rough tree bark. Annabeth went to join her brethren from the Athena cabin, who had set up a command tent and were directing operations. A gray banner with an owl fluttered outside the tent. Our security chief, Argus, stood guard at the door. Aphrodite's children were running around straightening everybody's armor armor, and offering to comb the tangles out of our horsehair plumes. Even Dionysus' Dionysus kids had found something to do. The god himself was still nowhere to be seen, but his two twin sons were running around providing all the sweaty-armed warriors with the water bottles and juice boxes. It looked like a pretty good setup, but Chiron muttered, muttered next to me, It isn't enough. I thought about what I'd seen in the labyrinth, all the monsters in Antaeus' stadium, and the power of Kronos I'd felt on Mount Tam. My heart sank. Chiron was right, but it was all we could muster. For once, I wished Dionysus was here, but even if he had been, I didn't know if he could do anything. When it came to war, gods were forbidden to interfere directly. Apparently, the Titans didn't believe in restrictions like that. Over at the edge of the clearing, Grover was talking to Juniper. She held his hands while he told her our story. Green tears formed in her eyes as he delivered the news about Pan. Tyson helped the Hephaestus kids prepare for the defenses. He picked up boulders and piled them next to the catapults for firing. Stay with me, Percy, Chiron said. When the fighting begins, I want you to wait until we know what we're dealing with. You must go where we most need reinforcements. I saw Kronos, I said, still stunned by the fact I looked straight into his eyes. It was Luke. But it wasn't. Chiron ran his fingers along his bowstring. He had golden eyes, I would guess, and in his presence, time seemed to turn to liquid. I nodded. How could he take over a mortal body? I do not know, Percy. Gods have assumed the shapes of mortals for ages, but to actually become one, to merge the divine form with the mortal... I don't know how this could be done without Luke's form turning to ashes. Kronos said his body had been prepared. I shudder to think that what that means. But perhaps it will limit Kronos' power, for a time at least. He is confined to a human form. It binds him together. Hopefully, it also restricts him. Chiron, if he leads this attack... I do not think so, my boy. I would sense if you were drawing near... No doubt he planned to, but I believe you inconvenienced him when you pulled him down. When you pulled down his throne room on top of him. He looked at me repro- reproachfully. You and your friend Nico, son of Hades. A lump formed in my throat. I'm sorry, Chiron. I know I should have told you. It's just. Chiron raised his hand. I understand why you did it, Percy. You felt responsible. You sought to protect him, but my boy, if we are to survive this, we must trust each other. We must... His voice wavered. The ground underneath us was trembling. Every and everyone in the clearing stopped what they were doing. Clarice barked a single order. Lock shields! The Ty- then the Titan Lord's army exploded from the labyrinth. I mean, I'd been in fights before, but this was a full-scale battle. The first thing I saw were a dozen Lastragonian giants erupting from the ground, yelling so loud my ears felt like bursting. They carried shields made from flattened cars and clubs that were tree trunks with rusty spikes bristling at the end. One of the giants bellowed at the Ares phalanx, smashed it sideways with his club and the entire cabin was thrown aside. A dozen warriors tossed to the wind like ragdolls. Fire! Beckendorf yelled. The catapult swung into action. Two boulders hurtled toward the giants. <clears throat> One deflected off a car shield with hardly a dent, but the other caught a in the chest. And the giant went down. Apollo's archers fired a volley, dozens of arrows sticking in the thick armor of the giants like porcupine quills. Several found chinks in armor, and some of the giants vaporized at the touch of celestial bronze. But when it, just when it looked like the last Dragonians were about to get overwhelmed, the next wave surged out of the maze. 30, maybe 40 Draconae in full battle armor, wielding spears and nets. They dispersed in all directions. Some hit the traps the Hephaestus cabin had laid. One got stuck on the spikes and became an easy target for archers. Another triggered a tripwire, and pots of Greek fires exploded into green fam- flames, engulfing several of the snake women. But many more kept coming. Argus and Athena's warriors rushed forward to meet them. I saw Annabeth draw a sword and engage one of them. Nearby, Tyson was riding a giant. Somehow, he managed to climb onto the giant's back and was hitting him on the head with a bronze shield. Bong, bong, bong. Chiron calmly aimed arrow after arrow, taking down a monster with every shot, but more enemies just kept climbing out of the maze. Finally, a hellhound, not Mrs. O'Leary, leaped out of the tunnel and barreled straight toward the satyrs. Go! Chiron yelled to me. I drew riptide and charged. <clears throat> As I raced across the battlefield, I saw horrible things. An enemy half-blood was fighting with the son of Dionysus, but it wasn't much of a contest. The enemy stabbed him in the arm and then clubbed him over the head with the butt of his sword. Dionysus' son went down. Another enemy warrior shot flame air, flaming arrows into the trees, sending our archers and dryads into a panic. A dozen draconates suddenly broke away from the main fight and slithered down the path that led toward camp. Like they knew they were going where they were going. If they got out, they could burn down the entire place completely unopposed. The only person anywhere near was Nico D'Angelo. He stabbed a telekine and his black stygian blade absorbed the monster's essence, drinking its energy until there was nothing left but dust. Niko! I yelled. He looked where I was pointing, saw the serpent woman, and immediately understood. He took a deep breath and held out his black sword. Serve me, he called. The earth trembled. A fissure opened in front of the draconae, and a dozen undead warriors crawled from the earth. Horrible corpses in military uniforms from all different time periods. U.S. revolutionaries, Roman centurions, Napoleonic cavalry on skeletal horses? As one, they drew their swords and engaged the dracone. Nico crumpled to his knees, but I didn't have time to make sure he was okay. I closed on the hellhound, which was now pushing the satyrs back toward the woods. The beast snapped at one satyr who was who danced out of its way, but then it pounced on another who was too slow. The satyr's tree bark-, bark shield cracked as he fell. Hey! I yelled. <clears throat> the hellhound turned. It snarled at me and leaped. It would have clawed me to pieces, but as I fell backward, my fingers closed around a clay jar. One of Beckendorf's con- containers of Greek fire. I tossed into the hellhound's maw, and the creature went up in flames. I scrambled away, breathing heavily. The satyr who got trampled wasn't moving. I rushed over to check on him, but then I heard Grover's voice. Percy! A forest fire had started. Flames roared within 10 feet of Juniper's tree, and Juniper and Grover were going nuts trying to save it. Grover played a rain song on his pipes. Juniper desperately tried to beat out the flames with her green shawl, but it was only making things worse. I ran toward them, jumping past duels, waving past between the legs of giants. The nearest water was the creek, half a mile away, but I had to do something. I concentrated. There's a pull in my gut, a roar in my ears. Then a wall of water came rushing through the trees. It doused the fire, juniper, grover and pretty much everything else. Grover blew a spout of water. "Thanks, Percy." "No problem." I ran toward the bed bat- toward the fight, and Grover and Juniper followed. Grover had a cudgel in his hand and Juniper held a stick like an old a stick, like an old-fashioned whipping st- switch. She looked really angry, like she was going to tan somebody's backside. Just when it seemed, the battle had balanced out again, had balanced out again, like we might stand a chance, and an earthly shriek echoed out of the labyrinth, a sound I had heard before. Kanpei shouted into the sky, her bat wings fully extended. She landed on the top of Zeus's fist and surveyed the carnage. Her face was filled with evil glee. The mutant animal heads growled at her waist. Snakes hissed and swirled around her legs. In her right hand, she held a glittering ball of thread, Ariadne's string, but she popped into a lion's mouth at her waist and drew her curved sword. The blades glowed green with poison. <clears throat> Compe screeched in triumph, and some of the campers screamed. Others tried to run and got trampled by hellhounds or giants. Die, Chiron yelled. He quickly aimed an arrow, but Compe seemed to sense his presence. He, she took flight with amazing speed, and Chiron's arrow whizzed harmlessly, harmlessly past her head. <clears throat> Tyson untangled himself from the giant whom he pummeled into unconsciousness. He ran at her line, shouting, Stand, do not run from her! Fight! But then a hellhound leaped on him, and Tyson and the hound went rolling away. Compe landed on the Athena Command tent, smashing it flat. I ran after her and found Annabeth at my side, keeping pace, her sword in her hand. This might be it, she said. Could be. Nice fighting with you, seaweed brain. Ditto. Together, we leaped into the monster's path. Compe hissed and sliced at us. I dodged, trying to distract her while Annabeth went in for a strike, but the monster seemed to be able to fight with both hands independently. She blocked Annabeth's sword and Annabeth had to jump back to avoid the cloud of poison. Just being near the thing was like standing in an acid fog. My eyes burned. My lungs couldn't get enough air. I knew we couldn't stand our ground for more than a few seconds. Come on, I shouted. We need help. But no help came. Everyone was either down or fighting for their lives or too scared to move forward. Three of Chiron's arrows sprouted from Kampe's chest but she just roared louder. No, Annabeth said. Together we charged, dodged the monster's slashes, got inside her guard, and almost, almost managed to stab Compe in the chest. But a huge bear's head lashed out from the monster's waist, and we had to stumble backward to avoid getting bitten. Slam! My eyesight went black. The next thing I knew, Annabeth and I were on the ground. The monster's had its forelegs on our chests, holding us down. Hundreds of snakes slithered right above me, hissing like laughter. Compe raised their green-tinged swords, and I knew Annabeth and I were out of options. Then, behind me, something howled. A wall of darkness slammed into Compe, sending the monster sideways, and Mrs. O'Leary was standing over us, snarling and snapping at Compe. Good girl, said a familiar voice. Daedalus was fighting his way out of the labyrinth, slashing down enemies left and right as he made his way toward us. Next to him was someone, familiar, uh, someone else, a familiar giant, much taller than the last Dragonians, with a hundred rippling arms, each holding a huge chunk of rock. "'Briars!' Tyson cried in wonder. "'Hail, little brother!' Briars bellowed. "'Stand firm!' And as Mrs. O'Leary leaped out of the way, the hundred-handed one launched a volley of boulders at Campe. The rocks seemed to enlarge as they left Briars' hands. There were so many, it looked like half the earth had learned to fly. "'Boom!' Where Krompe had stood a moment before was a mountain of boulders, almost as tall as Zeus's fists. The only sign that the monster had ever ex- existed were two green sword points sticking through the cracks. A cheer went up from the campers, but our enemies weren't done yet. One of the Draconae yelled, "Slay them, kill them, or all or Cronus will flay you alive." Apparently, that threat was more terrifying than we were. The giants surged forward in a last desperate attempt. One surprised Chiron with a glancing blow to the back legs, and he stumbled and fell. Six giants cried in glee and rushed forward. No, I screamed, but I was too far away to help. Then it happened. Grover opened his mouth, and the most horrible sound I'd ever heard came out. It was like a brass trumpet magnified a thousand times. The sound of pure fear. As one, the forces of Kronos dropped their weapons and ran for their lives. The giants trampled into the draconate trying to get into a labyrinth first. Telekines and hellhounds and enemy half-bloods scrambled after them. The tunnel rumbled shut and the battle was over. The clearing was quiet except for fires burning in the woods and the cries of the wounded. I helped Annabeth to her feet. We ran to Chiron. Are you alright? I asked. He was lying on his side, trying in vain to get up. How embarrassing, he muttered. I think I will be fine. Fortunately, we do not have to shoot centaurs with broken- out, Broken legs. You need help, Ambit said. I'll get a medic from Apollo's cabin. No, Chiron insisted. There are more serious injuries to, uh, injuries to attend to. Go, I'm fine. But Grover, later, we must talk about how you did that. That was amazing, I agreed. Grover blushed. I, I don't know where it came from. Juniper hugged him fiercely. I do! Before she could say more, Tyson called. Percy, come quick, it is Nico! There was smoke curling off his black clothes. His fingers were clenched, and the grass all around his body had turned yellow and died. I rolled over as gently as I could and put my hand against his chest. His heart was beating faintly. Get some nectar! I yelled. One of the Ares campers hobbled over and handed me a canteen. I trickled some of the magic drink into Nico's mouth. He coughed and spluttered, but his eyelids fluttered open. Nico, what happened? I asked. Can you talk? He nodded weakly. never tried to summon so many before. Uh, I'll be fine. We helped him sit up and gave him some more nectar. He blinked at all of us like he was trying to remember who we were. Then he focused on someone behind me. Daedalus, he croaked. Yes, my boy, the inventor said. I made a very bad mistake. I came to correct it. Daedalus had a few scratches that were bleeding golden oil, but he looked better than most of us. Apparently, his automaton body healed itself quickly. Mrs. O'Leary gloomed behind him, licking the wounds on his master's head, so Daedalus' hair stood up funny. Briar stood next to him, surrounded by a group of odd campers and satyrs. He looked kind of bashful, but he was signing autographs on armor, shields, and t-shirts. I found the Hundred-Handed One as I came through the maze. Daedalus explained. It seemed he had the same idea to come help, but he was lost. And so we fell in together. We both came to make amends. Yay! Tyson jumped up and down. Breyers, I knew you would come! I did not know, the Hundred-Handed One said. But you reminded me who I am, Cyclops. You are the hero. Tyson blushed, but I patted him on the back. I knew that was a long time ago, I said, but Daedalus, the Tyne army is still down there. Even without the string, they'll be back. They'll find a way sooner or later, with Kronos leading them. Daedalus sheathed his sword. You're right. As long as the Labyrinth is here, your enemies can use it, which is why the Labyrinth cannot continue. Ambit stared at him. But you said the Labyrinth is tied to your life force. As long as you're alive. Yes, my young architect, Daedalus agreed. When I die, the Labyrinth will die as well. And so I have a present for you. He slung a leather satchel off his back, unzipped it, and produced a sleek silver laptop computer, one of the ones I'd seen in the workshop. On the lid was the blue symbol L. My work is here, he said. It's all I managed to save from the fire. Notes on projects I never started. Some of my favorite designs. I couldn't develop these over the last few, few millennia. I did not dare reveal my work to the mortal world. Perhaps you will find it interesting. He handed the computer, who stared at it like it was solid gold. You're giving me this? But this is priceless! This is worth- I don't even know how much! Small compensation for the way I've acted, Dedalus said. You were right, Annabeth, about children of Athena. We should be wise, and I was not. Someday you will be a greater architect than I ever was. Take my ideas and improve them. It's the least I can do before I pass on. Whoa! I said- pass on but you can't just kill yourself that's wrong he shook his head not as wrong as hiding from my crimes for 2000 years genius does not excuse evil percy my time has come i must face my punishment you won't get a fair trial annabeth said the spirit of Minos sits in judgment i will take what comes he said and trust in the justice of the underworld such as it is that is all we can do isn't it he looked straight at nico and nico's face darkened. Yes, he said. Will you take my soul for ransom then? Daedalus asked. You could use it to reclaim your sister. No, Miko said. I will help you release your spirit, but Bianca has passed. She must stay where she is. Daedalus nodded. Well done, son of Hades. You're becoming wise. Then he turned toward me. One last favor, Percy Jackson. I cannot leave Mrs. O'Leary alone, and she has no desire to return to the underworld. Will you care for her? I looked at the massive black hound, who whimpered pitifully, still licking Daedalus's hair. I was thinking that my mom's apartment wouldn't allow dogs, especially dogs bigger than the apartment. But I said, yeah, of course I will. Then I'm ready to see my son. And Perdix, he said, must tell them how sorry I am. Ambit had tears in her eyes. Daedalus turned toward Nico, who drew his sword. At first, I was afraid Nico would kill the old inventor, but he simply said, your time has long since come be released and rest a smile of relief spread across Dedalus's face he froze like a statue his skin turned transparent revealing the bronze gears and machinery whirring inside his body and the statue turned to gray ash and disintegrated mrs o'leary howled i patted her head trying to comfort her as best as i could the earth rumbled an earthquake that could possibly probably be felt in every major city across the world uh, across the country as the ancient labyrinth collapsed Somewhere I hoped the remains of the Titan strike force had been buried. I looked around at the carnage in the clearing and the weary faces of my friends. Come on, I told him. We have work to do. And that is the end of chapter 18. That was a pretty twist-turning chapter, and this has a pretty been pretty uh, surprising episode because Daedalus and Pan are now leaving the group. And we'll have to see how Percy and the group and the entire camp will be able to survive the Kronos' army's attacks. And we'll find out what happens to them next week when we read chapters 19 and 20. But until then, stay safe and stay out of boredom.